Andrea Bazemore founded her own virtual school, the Black Apple, last fall. As a result, the Frisco teacher has students living across the country. I teach in about 23 states right now. This came in handy this week. I thought about, you know, how could we as a school help others that um, are in need. Andrea posted this question on Facebook and turned it into an impromptu service project for her students. I just need people with internet access. Andrea jumped on Instagram Live. I am trying to find shelter for someone in Houston. Her students in California, Florida, and Maine started making calls. So they're seeing firsthand, you know, how many hotels are closed, how many hotels are booked. This wasn't a direct okay. assignment, but certainly a lesson in geography, in communication when talking to hotel clerks, and math dealing with rates. We were able to um, find housing for one uh, one family so far. Perhaps the most important lesson learned is empathy. Just seeing them jump into action has been so amazing and I'm so proud of them. In Frisco, I'm Ariel Placencia. We in here, yeah, we in here, we been here. We in here, yeah, we in here, we been here. jump out my seat because they can't do nothing about what they done started with this black versus the board of education podcast i am miss laureen and i welcome you back to our second season premiere we are so excited to have you here with us and without further ado let me go ahead and kick it to my co-hosts um, and let them introduce themselves so miss mariah we will start with you hi guys my name is mariah i'm a 16 year old senior living in senior <laughs> Look at Trin is about to go off. Go ahead, Trin. <laughs> Hi. Oh, wait. Hi, I'm Trinity. I'm a senior at Laguna Creek High School as well. Last time you saw me, I was a junior. Oh, last time. <laughs> now, listen, I know that you have something that you are doing right now, and I'm I'm just going to jump into it because it's been a while since people have seen us. We took a break so I could give you guys a break. Um, but I want you to let everybody know what you've been up to and what you are currently doing. So currently, I'm running for the EGSD student board member position. Let's go. Um, I, <laughs> I actually um, I actually created the position um, along with my Gen Up team. I, I actually created the position for Elk Grove Unified School District. Um, so we like had to petition and write the bylaws and all of that. And it actually came into fruition. So now I'm running for it and I'm campaigning. And if you're at Laguna, vote for me September 3rd. I have a bunch of stuff on my um posted to my IG about my campaign and stuff. So yeah. And you even brought receipts. See, that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> we, we don't just sit up here and talk mess. We come with the receipts. Let's go, Trin. Right. Well, welcome back for a second season. And we're gonna kick it over to Miss Adia. Go ahead and introduce yourself, love folks. Hey y'all. So my name's Adia and I'm a current junior at Intercom. And so as a junior at Indicum, what are you currently involved in? Because I keep seeing y'all's IGs and I don't know if anybody is, is following you, but I get to follow you. So why don't you tell everybody what you've been up to? Yeah, um, so look, I got to collect all my thoughts. Okay, so I'm the president of my school's Black Student Union. 
Um, I'm currently running for a junior class rep, so I can basically represent like the juniors of my school, be in those conversations about funding, about curriculum, um, about literature, about holding those teachers accountable. Um, I'm a part of, you know, Link Crew, so I'm like mentoring freshmen and stuff like that. And yeah, there's some other stuff I'm involved in here and there, but I feel like those are my main focuses as of now on the campus. Well, those are some important focuses. So, I mean, kudos to you for even stepping into the leadership role. And Mariah, I don't think that you told them that you're the president of your school's BSU. So we got a bunch of leaders sitting up here on this panel. So we're not just talking about it. We're about that life. Uh, And we'll kick it over to the baby of the crew. Uh, Miss Melissa, go ahead and introduce yourself. Hi guys, my name is Melissa and I'm a 15 year old sophomore in the Southern California area. Come on, SoCal, represent. Now you, last thing you told us is you were trying to create a BSU on your campus. So are you still in the process of creating that? Yes, I am. Um, I have been talking to some black students that I'm friends with and we're going to hopefully talk to some of the staff on campus really soon. Perfect. So not only do they have this responsibility of coming in and talking to you all, um, they actually are doing things, not just their schoolwork, but taking leadership positions. So I just want to tell y'all how proud I am of you that you're sitting out here and you're putting your your, your neck on the line to represent other students who um, maybe have not found their voice. So kudos to y'all. So you guys know this week we have a very, very special guest. So before we move to our current events and the things that we're going to get into before I get completely ticked off, uh, I want to introduce... <laughs> Our special guest for this week, this is Miss Andrea Bazemore. You saw her in the opening uh, slides. Miss um, Bazemore, why don't you go ahead and greet the people? Hey, how's it going? I'm so happy to be here. So happy to be here with student leaders. Um, I was a student leader growing up, um, and it definitely launched um, into where I am today. Um, like I said, I created my own um, virtual school, um, transitioning to a hybrid school, and we'll talk about that later. Um, uh, so just really happy to be here. Perfect. Thank you so much for being here. And we look forward to talking about your virtual school because we got some opinions about some of these schools out here and their, their ratchet faculty. Um, so no, without further ado, let's go into our first story of the week. If you can play that Miami-Dade uh, story, uh, Miss Jada, hold it down. Security guard striking a student at a South Florida middle school. It happened earlier this week. And now that man is facing child abuse charges. Local 10 News reporter Syra Onwar is live outside the school in El Portal. And she has reaction from the school district about that arrest. What are they saying, Syra? So Christian Janice, this whole incident happened on Wednesday here at Horace Mann Middle School in El Portal. That security guard was arrested on Thursday and now the school district is calling his actions troubling. It's my way, a part-time security guard caught on cell phone video punching a student in the chest on Wednesday at Horace Mann Middle School in El Portal. Miami-Dade Schools Police arrested 40-year-old Antoine Ruffin Thursday morning. He faces two criminal charges of child abuse with no great harm and battery. Jail records show Ruffin has been released from jail. According to the arrest report, Ruffin intentionally punched a middle school student in his chest during an altercation when the student refused to go to class after the bell rang. Y'all go to class. Miami-Dade County Public Schools sending this statement regarding the incident. Quote, 
Miami-Dade County Public Schools is deeply troubled and saddened by the actions of this individual as they are not representative of our caring and supportive workforce. We expect our employees to lead by example and adhere to the core values of our school system. As a result of this arrest, the district will be taking all necessary disciplinary actions against the individual up to and including dismissal. Now, as some parents earlier this morning were dropping their students off at school, I asked them what they thought of this security guard's actions. They said they were not aware of this incident. That is the very latest live in El Portal. Syrah Onward, Local 10 News. So listen, <laughs> I'm gonna let y'all sound off first because, yeah, Didi, your thoughts. What do you think? Um, I think it's terrible that kids have to go through that type of stuff in schools because school's supposed to be a safe space for students. Um, and not trying to like dismiss what the security guard did, like not at all. But I just feel like, you know, like he was like a black man. I feel like we never see like like we never see like white like security guards or like police officers on campus treated the same or like get dismissed or get arrested so like not trying to excuse his actions you know what i mean but kind of just like kind of seeing like okay he just got arrested and all this but like we never really see that happening if it was someone like white or like if it was a police officer on campus so you think that there are different ways in which you think they're making an example out of him is that what you're saying to me um, that's not exactly what I was saying. I just feel like, I feel like I see like the dis. I guess the discipline, I don't want to use, really use that word, but like treated differently when like a black man abuses a kid on school campus. And like, when like we see police officers do it time and time again, or like a white, you know, like, um, security guard or something. Mm. Trinity, I'm gonna kick it to you. What do you think? Well, um, to add to what Didi was saying, I was going to say, like, I'm wondering the school said like, there's, the staff member was not represent, uh, representative of the school district, but it makes me wonder, like, if he was doing it, how many other security guards or teachers or staff members were doing it? And then, like, to connect that to what Didi was saying, like, how many white security guards, staff members, teachers, whatever, got away with doing that? Mm. Mariah, you have any thoughts? I think it's like absolutely wild. I feel like no staff security guard, the superiority complex on the ones I see at my school, I can see the mindset and I think they have no place at all putting their hands on a child in an educational environment. It's disgusting, really. And so in, in go ahead, Trinity, you unmute it. What you want to say? Yeah, I was going to say, like, I also think, think about like the kid in that position and how hostile he's going to become to the school environment and to school staff and then they're going to want to blame us for like disciplinary stuff or not doing our work but then like on the flip side we have to continuously go through stuff like that send your kids back to school they said we want to go five days a week send them back oh they're they're excited they miss their school and this is what they deal with what the, what is really going on? I mean, and I, I remember I was looking at the comments and they were saying, oh, well, we see this all the time in the black community. So we're normalizing child abuse on campuses. That's what we're doing. Like it's, it's, it's egregious. And, and I don't, I think that he should have been arrested and maybe he will think again before he tries to tell the child that he runs the hallways. Like, anyway. Melissa, did you want to comment or do we can we move on to the next story? 
Um, I didn't see all of it, but from what I'm hearing, what you guys are saying and um, putting hands on children as administration should not be happening to anyone at all. It's not okay. Miss mm. Baysmore, you unmuted. Yeah, um, I think going back to the comments, um, again, the video is disgusting. Um, but, you know, as someone who taught in public school, in public elementary school at that, that was a daily occurrence that I saw. Um, right. It was very normalized. Um, and mm. I taught all around, you know, the country. Um, and that's one of the reasons why I wanted to create my own school is just because I saw that normalized violence daily. Mm. Uh, and so and what's happening is parents are being more aware. Kids are being more aware and they're recording it. So I also kind of think, you know, did the kid who recorded it, assuming that it's a kid, did they get any disciplinary, you know, action taken mm. against them or, you know, not even disciplinary, but, you know, like retribution as far as like being in the school? Those are kind of things that I worry and wonder about. Um, but this is this is what goes on daily, especially in um, populations where it is majority, you know, BIPOC, Black, Brown, um, Indigenous populations. That's that's the norm, which is disgusting yeah, and, and we gonna put a pin in that because you said BIPOC and you know we don't really use that word here but we'll put a pin in that and I will come back to you when we circle back around um Jada can you play the next story because this is on the flip side a student then... over a mask caught on video in the video at a Louisville high school in Kentucky you see a teacher pinning down a student and then later pulling his hair the chemistry teacher has been temporarily removed from campus 16 year old boy is under suspension and faces an assault charge the fight apparently started with the teacher objected to the type of mask the team was wearing. The school district is investigating. Okay. No, so what I'm talking about. This is what I'm what talking about. What you talking about? <laughs> We're investigating him, but the other guy got arrested. I'm not trying to excuse anybody's actions. Like I believe he should be arrested, but it's like this the different rhetoric. They're like well, I guess they didn't like the mask he was wearing. So, you know, we're, we're going to investigate it. You know, we'll see. Like, maybe it was probable cause. You know what I mean? And But you see, like, like a black man, a black security guard do it, and it's just, like, no, arrested. Like, period. You know, and as it should be. But it's, like, you know what I mean? You just kind of see it play out differently from these two stories, I feel like. And I think what you're asking for is the same energy. We want yeah. the same energy. Same energy across the board. Um, because... What I saw in based in the two videos, you had one that struck a child. You had one bearing his whole full weight on the kid for a while. And then he gets up off of the kid and grabs a handful of his hair while an adult and other kids are trying to pull him off. Yet he's being investigated. He also need him in the face. That's what I heard. I did not see that that part of the video, but that's what I heard. So this young man is 16 years old. Um, I have been in contact with his mom. Um, Exquisitive from our team has also been in contact with his mom and the attorney for the family. Um, what we can say is that they need more eyes on this story. Um, they need more people to, to voice their concern about this child basically being attacked by a kid and before anybody tries to label this as a fight between a teacher and a child that's a child and he actually the child actually got on the news and accepted his responsibility for this situation the teacher not so much the teacher said he he denies any wrongdoing so we have a problem here 
We have a problem when people feel that they have the right to put their hands on somebody because they don't like the mask that they're wearing. And it's not only that, he said things like, you're going to be the next black boy shot in the streets. Now that boy was shot last year in a drive-by. So you're dealing with a child with PTSD. You're dealing with a child and you're taunting him and you're an authority figure. That's verbal abuse. Why is that not seen as a problem? And we have to talk about this type of stuff um, as we're continuing to go through post-pandemic, not even post-pandemic, because we're still in the middle of a pandemic, right? Um, as we went back to school after being in distance learning for a year, this is the hostility that our children are being met with. And I'm trying to figure out when is enough enough. Mariah? It's absolutely wild. I don't understand in what world you need to bear full force onto a child body to take off his mask. That's very disrespectful and very something. I don't even know if that's why he did that. I, I can't exactly. even say that's why he and did that. Too, there's too many gaps in the story and there's zero specificity. And this just goes back to add like believe black students when we tell you what's going on on our campuses because we have no reason to lie. These are the same types of issues we have been like going through with teachers just being disrespectful and doing extras. We have no reason to lie. Yeah, nobody wants to believe black students when we try to tell people what is going on on these campuses. It's wild. I think like to add to that, you were saying um, about the other story, um, how like they say like, okay, like send, send our kids back to school after the pandemic and stuff. So like for me and Mariah, we've been talking to a lot of kids on campus about like their experiences after returning back to campus after being gone for almost two years. And like for me, like personally, I had like interaction with security guards and people on campus over a dress code situation. And like Mariah's had problems with teachers. There's people who, who like get sent to OCS for no reason, like, or whatever, on-campus suspension, like, and it's, and it's literally three weeks into school, and, you know, we were all just, like, locked up by ourselves, didn't have any interaction, had to see, like, what COVID, like, did to our families and other people's families, and then I had to see, like, what happened with the Black Lives Matter stuff and all of that, and then we come back to school, and we're met with this same hostility and this same disrespect, and they wonder why, like, we're just so disconnected from the school environment and why we don't want to be so involved on campus and in our communities. So, yeah. So how does that translate? Because you're running, you know, to be the voice of students on the Elk Grove Unified School District Board, right? How do you anticipate you're going to make that connection so that it becomes real to them? Because a lot of times these elected officials, they're not on the campuses. They don't see what it is that you all experience. So how do you plan to make that real to the people sitting on the board or to be bring the voice of the students into it? So I think one of the, the first ways is I hear a lot from the board is that like, they, it seems like when we're like, we're the same faces showing up to the board meetings, the same ones submitting public comment, the same ones, you know, writing them emails, the same groups of people. And I think one thing that would be super important is to have like, I don't know, maybe meetings or just send out surveys or something from me, not from the board or not from the district and asking people what their experiences are so they know that all of these kids are going through something and, and it's not okay. And then communicating that. So I guess um, 
in short term, like bridging bridging that communication for me because I'm on campus 24 seven and I have people from other schools across the district and just like building that, um, building that bridge so that we can like communicate. And Didi, I saw you unmute. Did you have something you wanted to add to that? Oh yeah, this was kind of like before, like what Trinity's point was making. I think I've heard Melissa talk about this too before, but it's kind of like, in some ways, like I feel like black students felt like safer kind of online, if that makes sense. You know what I mean? Because like you can turn off your camera. You can, a, a teacher may not know you're black. Like I would add my camera off all year, not even go cap. But you know what I mean? And I don't know. It's just like, it's just sad. You know what I mean? To be like going back and then it's just like, it's just you see like, you know, you kind of forget it for a little bit because you don't have to see it every single day. But now you're going back and it's just like, you know what I mean? It's like a reality again. It's a horrible reality. I mean, it was still a reality. You know, there was hybrid and kids dying in school, you know what I mean? But it's like to see it for yourself and just to see it like more like of these stories because we are back in school. And honestly, I feel like and not not even from like an optimistic or whatever standpoint, like you would hope like schools were shut down for like a year and a half. Like some part in me was like, maybe something will be like a little bit better. And it's like, you can't even believe that. Like, you know, cause I come back on campus and the same exact things are happening. And I'm seeing these posts on Instagram every day now. So, yeah. So you think that, they haven't changed anything about the way it's just business as usual. Is that what you're saying, Mariah? You yes. Because it's crazy. Like me and Trinity, like we advocated for so much this summer to get done for this school. And we come to this class and me and Trinity sit next to each other and we are constantly mugged by our teacher throughout the day, throughout the lesson. Side care, to me, care, care to shoot me the name so that I can address yes. it? I was going to do it. After the, yes. Says, okay. We're not lying when we say we're being greeted with the same type of hostility that was happening pre-COVID, pre-shutdown, pre-distance learning, because it just followed through. And if anything, it got worse. Mm. And if anything, it's even worse now because we're not at home. Our parents aren't seeing us. We're not with that connection. We have no backup, no defenses to help fight for us on these campuses, in these classrooms where we're just squared away. Ms. Baysmore? Yeah. You know, what I've uh, seen from other teachers um, and just like coming at it from like a historical kind of social emotional lens is you've got teachers with a lot of built up stress. Um, you've got teachers that um, don't know if they're going to be virtual, don't know if there's mass, no mass. And so you've got a lot of pent up aggression. And when teachers don't deal with that pent up aggression, um, that mental um, mental anguish, it comes out at kids. Um, you see kind of a similar scenario with parents. If parents aren't dealing with their mental stress, it might come out on kids. And so <clears throat> what I had predicted, and as you know, the news is going on, the year is going on, it's just becoming more true, is that we're going to see more violence in schools mm. um, at the hands of teachers. Um, because you've had teachers go through this pandemic stress for now two years. It's two years too long, right? We're in a pressure cooker system. And it's just going to get worse. Um, so I, I encourage everyone to, you know, every student especially, to stay as safe as they can um, and to record, to, you know, acknowledge things that are going to happen. Document, 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 because I guarantee you the teachers are going to be documenting you. Mm. I understand, but still, I just feel like Black students are not targets for white teachers' misplaced anger. 
Never. And that's currently how it feels on these campuses. Not excusing it at all, <clears throat> but um, but explaining the, the rationale behind why is there so much violence? That's why. And so as our black and brown, uh, our uh, what term do y'all use, black and brown? We use black. Black. As for our, for our black students, you know, we need to uh, stay vigilant, um, stay, you know, um, uh, stay uh, aware. Again, document pull out those phones. The reason why that officer and those things are happening in the media is because of phones, because of media. So please document, do not be afraid to do that. Yeah, and I think that you bring up a, a good point because a lot of times, you know, I don't focus on teachers because I'm not a teacher, right? I focus on the kids. I have to deal with the fallout from the students and how they're feeling. But I, I think that that's a good perspective that you uh, provided because you're right. Um, there has not been a lot of clarity on their job responsibilities and their roles, but some of them just need to retire because they're not good anyway. Like we have to have that conversation too. Um, there are some people who pre-pandemic were horrible teachers, were horrible human beings, and they should have been fired, but because the union is in place, they continue to maintain their jobs, even though they are highly detrimental to students. And we have to have that conversation too. Melissa, did you want to weigh in on this before we segue? Um, yeah, I want to go back to something Judy said about students feeling safer at home. That was definitely something that I agree with, um, that I stressed really strongly at the beginning of this school year that I wanted to stay home. And I wanted to because I felt safer at home. And I felt like I was really growing at home, because I got to be in my own space. And I was comfortable. Um, I wasn't constantly worrying about what you know, small microaggressions um, that teachers are going to possibly say that are going to, you know, affect me mentally that I'm going to dwell on. So I really did feel more comfortable at home. Um, so yeah, I just wanted to touch on that and agree with Didi. Well, good, because I think that I told your administrators that this was a, a welcome relief for many Black students across you know, this state and uh, I would submit the nation where they were able to be at home and not have to be the trash receptacle for misplaced anger and for uh, discriminant policies that targeted them. I thought that, you know, I, I had high hopes that we would see some changes, but I can tell you here at BYLP, we've already had uh, four complaints last week about things going on around this district in Elk Grove and others. And so we have to be clear when we're talking about things are going to get worse. This is what the first couple of weeks of school. Yes, it's going to get worse. It's going to get worse until people start checking these damn adults who should know better. It's going to get worse until we stop thinking that children can rationalize as adults and they have those skill sets, it's going to get worse. We have to start dealing with reality. And so I'm incredibly um, grateful to have Miss Andrea Baysmore here because you didn't just sit on the sidelines. You decided to create your whole own virtual school. So why don't you tell us about the Black Apple and how you came about um, creating that? <clears throat> Absolutely. And first, I want to say thank you for correcting my language. You know, I go in a lot of different media and some, some I understand. Um, so, and I remember <laughs> that email that you sent me. So I just, uh -huh. how great. But, but I think this goes to this is a great example of, you know, hey, teach, uh, adults checking each other and making sure that, you know, uh, whatever perspective we need to put up on the front, we need to put up on the front. Um, so, uh, <clears throat> 
And just so you know, we do that because black students are disproportionately disciplined nationwide in every single school district. They are at the bottom of every single category except discipline. So when I talk, I speak specifically about black students because those are the ones getting and bearing the brunt of mistreatment in the education system. But please go ahead. (laughs) Absolutely. No, be unapologetically who you are because that's all you can be, right? Um, And, you know, as a, as, you know, a teacher and also, you know, I'm technically an administrator, but I don't look at myself that way as, you know, owning this school, I obviously have to look out for uh, students of all ethnic backgrounds, all racial backgrounds, but we always start with an Afrocentric perspective first, right? Um, Because of what's disproportionately happened to us as Mm -hmm. black people. Um, But um, so basically, um, my grandma um, was a teacher. Um, and when I was born, she bought $4,000 of bonds and just kept it, didn't tell anybody. When she passed, my aunt found it, who was also an educator, um, and sent it to me in college and told me that my mom, my grandma wanted me to focus on education. Um, and so there are so many times that I wanted to spend that $4,000, let me tell you, in college. You know, I went to college in New York. You know, there's so many outfits I could have spent that money on, um, but I <laughs> saved it. Outfits. Right. Outfits, you know, like I I was trying to look fly in New York. Okay. Um, uh, But I saved that money. um, And during the pandemic, she spoke to me and she said, start your school. I was like, what? We in a pandemic, grandma. What are you talking about? And she said, start your school. And Mm -hmm. I had previously started my company, the Black Apple, doing culturally responsive curriculum, um, focusing on the Afrocentric perspective. Um, like I said, I saw a lot of racial violence in an elementary school. Um, the elementary school was down the block from uh, the county jail in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Um, that's where I first started teaching. Um, so obviously learned about the race massacre, everything that was happening, found lots of great teachers that shared that anger and that passion for teaching black students. And so um, so I became a really great teacher, you know, had the highest test scores, everything, the nines, but also had a lot of backlash from administration wanting to silence me and wanting to fire me, wanting to put, you know, these, these things on me to trap me, um, and to get me to fall in line with what they were doing. Right. Um, so I was always a revolutionary teacher, um, <clears throat> and, you know, having the spirit of my ancestors, um, on my back as well. Um, my other, um, uh, one of my other ancestors, one of the first black nuns ever. Um, so was very revolutionary in that, right? Bought her way out mm-hmm. of um, enslavement and started um, uh, the diocese. So got a lot of, you know, uh, social justice perspectives and ancestors within me. Um, and I hold on to that as I fight, you know, educational injustice. But um, so I, um, had been working in ed tech. I knew, looked at school budgets. I knew that they didn't put money into funding, um, uh, for educational technology. <clears throat> um, and that's just statistic wide. So I said, you know what, I'm going to start my own school. I know how to do virtual learning at, um, um, in a great way. Um, I knew that homeschooling was rising um, numbers and knew that's what was going to happen during this pandemic. Um, while every while the school districts were trying to figure out what to do, I was like, oh, I'm going to do it. Um, right, so I started right. my school in a month. Um, we figured so out- let me ask you this. Before you keep going, let me ask you this, because I read somewhere that 
you had come down with COVID and you did yeah. not want to go back to a traditional school setting. So can you talk to Correct. us about that? Correct. Um, in total, I've had COVID four times. Um, and uh, uh, so I had it in January 2020 before when it was deemed, um, you know, a racial term virus. Um, uh, and then I had it in July of 2020 um, when there were no masks around and um, immune compromise as well. Uh, so I catch things very quickly. So, you know, as dealing with COVID, getting, you know, that message from her, I was like, yeah, the school district is not going to protect me. They're not going to put my health in mind. I have to put my health in mind. I have to be that one to put myself Mm -hmm. first, because if I wait for the school districts to do it, I'm not going to be here. And so that, um, so I started my school in a month, just, you know, um, talking to people on social media saying, um, because they were wanting what I had created. Um, I had seen everything, seen the data. And I was like, this is just going to work. And so I did it. Um, uh, Our... Um, I had always been interested in education. Um, I'm autistic. So I, um, when you're autistic, you hyper-focus on something and mine was just mm-hmm. education. Um, so when I was, you know, y'all's age, um, I started like protests, um, was in the media, did sit-ins about education because they were cutting education funding. So that launched, that fueled my fire. And so, um, <clears throat> knew what to do. Um, and in one year, if you started and ended school with us, you grew four academic years in reading and math. That's unheard of in the pandemic online. What What do you think that's that's attributed to, though? It's attributed to one. Um, we started the school year, um, and we do this this year as well. Our first two months of school, we don't focus heavily on academics. We focus on community because mm. community is what matters. I need to, you know, if if I'm teaching uh, all the students here, they need to know that I care about them. They need to Thanks. know that I, I, um, they need to see themselves reflected in literature. They need to see themselves reflected in teachers. And I'm not just talking, you know, black, white. Um, I'm talking, you know, complexion. I'm talking gender. I'm talking weight. I mean, we go into those depths of those levels because that's where our society is. Our society Mm. just don't want to see, you know, someone black. They want to see someone that truly reflects who I am. They want to see someone that got their hair wrapped, that that wear, um, that, you know, uh, comes to school with lashes, doesn't come to school with lashes, right? Um, uh, Rocks, rocks, uh, uh, sneakers, um, and whatever. Um, They want to see themselves. Because if I don't see myself, then I think that I'm a monster, right? Um, Issa Rae said that in her book, uh, I can't remember, uh, Misadventures of Awkward Black Girl. She didn't see herself represented. And that's where what got her to her place. I have I a question. Um, yeah, so I was wondering, um, is it just you that teaches in your school? Or is there like multiple staff? Sorry. I'm, yeah, I'm no, great that. question. Um, I get that question all the time. So I started out just teaching everything um, and uh, knew that wasn't going to be sustainable. So I actually have parents volunteer to teach um, one hour a week, and that takes care of their tuition um, for some parents who uh, can't afford um, our school because we do pay. So we have a $250 monthly fee, a $100 monthly fee, or a $3 monthly fee. In the $3 tier, you volunteer an hour, um, and that takes care of your tuition. So that allows us to have a very variety of socioeconomic statuses as well. Um, so, uh, and some parents, you know, tutor, some parents teach uh, gardening, 
Um, some teach reading to our pre-K and kindergarten students, um, uh, uh, analyzing media. We have a class on analyzing media that a parent that teaches that. Um, so it just depends on what they want to teach. Um, and I'll create a course for them, for our students to learn. Um, so it's not, oh, sorry. sorry, go ahead, Judy. Oh, okay. Um, what grade levels, just like, what kind of grade levels do you teach? Is this like more like elementary kids, or like high school kids? Or like, I wanna, Great like, question. Yeah. So we teach pre-K through ninth grade um, currently. We'll add a grade every year um, for our high school until we get to 12th grade. Um, but we had started pre-K through eighth grade last year. And then um, as kids wanted to stay on for high school. So we added a year for high school. And so that's how we'll function. Sorry, um, what, um, man, I forgot my question. <laughs> Let me try to remember. <laughs> Don't worry about it. So how big is your school currently? Um, so currently we're still enrolling. I think we have about 50 students um, currently, um, uh, but our enrollment ends on the tomorrow. Um, so I don't have exact numbers. Um, but we also do like a la carte classes. So we've got like a Spanish class that people can attend and pay into at a higher rate. Um, uh, we, given what's happening with Delta, um, I'm looking at trends and schools will most likely go back to virtual learning. Um, and so we'll open up in October for our November and December winter solstice semester. Um, so we'll, um, that's what the trend has been. Um, students go to school, they don't like it, and then they drop, or not drop out, but they withdraw in October. So we'll open again in October. And I remember my question. Um, so is it like traditional schooling or like what does a typical day look like? So you know how like we have like certain blocks. Is it like that? Yeah, great question. Um, so we function as a homeschool. Um, uh, so uh, meaning all of our students have withdrawn from public school and they are technically homeschooled. We focus as an umbrella school. So we take out care of any paperwork um, with the state. Um, uh, we're hybrid. So in 2022, we'll um, go uh, a virtual and in person. We'll have um, uh, small like get togethers where we'll do classes, um, but we'll stay virtual until d the um, uh, coronavirus uh, uh, dips a little bit, um, especially since this virus is, uh, variant is affecting kids. Um, and we're what's called eclectic. Um, so an eclectic uh, school uh, focuses on what you want to learn versus telling you you need to do reading, math, science, social studies, and you've got like a small thing to pick. Um, my kids tell me um, the semester prior what they want to learn, and I create the curriculum since I was previously a curriculum writer. Um, and so that's how we get our classes. So we've got a podcasting class um, uh, where we it's a science podcast. Um, we've got a, um, we do like a book clubs and around literacy. Um, uh, we've got an herbal gardening class. We've got a yoga class. Um, we do math, um, but in the, we'll do traditional math, but it's individualized. So if you're on a 10th grade level math, but you're in eighth grade, I can individualize your learning plan um, so that you can finish math at your rate. Or if you need math a little bit slower, I can do that as well. Um, That's uh, we dope. Have, yeah, we have our, our cultural classes. So we teach cultural classes as well. Um, we have um, Latinx um, uh, Art Month, um, so we focus on an Afrocentric um, uh, Latinx perspective. 
um, through art. Um, so kids get to create their own art. Um, uh, our math classes are on Thursday, um, but we do math in context. Um, so what math, um, so we look at football and look at the math in football. We look at fashion and look at the math in fashion. Um, studies show that painting by numbers and puzzles actually increase your math um, uh, uh, attainment. So we have a class that does that. Um, and then Wednesdays are our social emotional learning days. Um, so we've got a gaming class where kids just game on a multiplayer um, uh, Steam uh, game so they can interact and just have fun. Um, we teach emotions and feelings to our pre-K and kindergarten class. Um, so that's a little bit how we, um, we function. Um, uh, data shows um, Ken Robinson's uh, Creative Schools is one of the books that we use, um, as well as Bettina Love's school, um, Love's um, book. Um, and so we've that's taken- what we just, Is that the, we want to do more than ju just yes, survive? Yes, yes, yes. Um, Shout out to Bettina Love. <laughs> Oh man, love her. Um, so we've taken, so we, I took a lot of time not knowing that I was going to really create a school, but I took a lot of time doing research on what schools work. How do schools really function? Um, and so I took all of that research and created my school and studies show that, um, you know, we have the data now to prove that we're very good at what we do. Um, and so I, I can close any racial gap that we've had and I have done that with all of our kids. Um, and I think the most troubling thing for me was seeing how behind all of our Black kids were in math. Um, that mm. was the thing that angered me. Um, and someone as a teacher or well, as a student, I was put in remedial math when I knew I didn't need to be. Um, and as a teacher, I would score in like the 90th percentile in math. And I didn't understand why those two things were happening. Why was I put in remedial math? in grade school, but, um, you know, attained like the 99th percentile in math um, and recognized that that was like the racial system that I was in, um, in the suburbs of being black in the suburbs of a public school. Um, all the kids in the remedial math were black, um, mm. but I didn't have the language to verbalize, like that's what was happening. Um, and so I have kids from all over. Um, we're almost at um, 50 states. Um, I've got to look. I'll look tomorrow. Um, but all of my kids were below grade level in math. And we're not talking like one grade level. We're talking like two, three, four um, grade mm. levels behind. Um, and, you know, if you don't understand math, you don't understand money. And I'm seeing well, could that. It be, could it be that they don't understand math because they're not being taught right? Or they're not oh, being it. taught in a way that oh, really it. resonates with them. Right. Like you it's, put some money on the table, I bet you they learn some math. <laughs> okay, right. Um, and uh, and that's it. It's not that our kids um, could not do math. It's that we're not being taught math in a way that, you know, um, resonates with us. Um, so that's how, why we do math in context. Um, because if I can teach you math within a football lens, or I can teach you math in, you know, creating all, your own business, um, then... Uh, you can really understand how powerful math is. Yeah. So, sorry, I have another, I'm asking a lot of questions. Don't apologize, just ask your question, girl. Yeah. So being that you taught in like the public, um, public schools and stuff, and then now you've created your own school, like what do you think public or like, and you learned and you, you know, grew your school and stuff like that. 
how do you, like what do you think that public schools could take away or what would you put into like what what could public schools learn from what you're doing and how could like they implement that into their everyday absolutely like, teaching I guess. Uh, so the the hard thing with public schools is that it's tied to the law. Um, and so if you really want to affect the public schools, you have to change the laws. Mm. Um, and so we always go to, you know, um, uh, school boards can do something to an effect. And um, advocating at school board meetings is highly, highly essential. But teaching kids, teaching parents, teaching teachers how to look at what school board funding is, what school board funding is going into and analyzing budgets, that's key. That should be a class every student does is look at your school board funding and where is that funding mm -hmm. going to. Um, uh, also, every student should be taking a law class. Um, and I would always start with knowing your Miranda rights. Um, because if you know your Miranda rights, um, uh, I was you know, analyzing this for a class that I was creating um, and just seeing a lot of news stories where kids were being into custody but didn't know their Miranda rights, um, and so they were taking down this legal loophole uh, when they could have, you know, stopped it at the beginning. So every school needs to, every student needs to be taught their Miranda rights and what they explicitly mean. Um, um, but also, um, we should be advocating for laws uh, that work. The reason why virtual learning in public school systems has not worked is because they've got to, um, those public schools um, have to align to the law. Um, you know, our kids only are online a maximum of two hours a day. Um, and that's actually um, logistically what makes sense for your age. Um, our pre-k yeah. and kinder are only online 30 minutes a day. Because um, if you look at science, that's what science tells you. Um, is, is appropriate. Um, but law state, you have to be in school, what, eight hours a day, seven hours a day, five hours a day, whatever it is. So it's um, the laws are outdated to our post-pandemic world that we're going to be in. Um, and so we've got a society that is new, but laws that are archaic. So mm. public schools need to um, uh, be advocating for different laws. And I believe the next election cycle that we have for a presidential election, um, um, as well as governor elections, wherever your state is, education is going to be the number one thing mm. that's going to get votes. Because yeah, our education right. system has is not the same. It will never be the same due to the pandemic. I know we got and some it questions. It can't be the same. It can't be the same. And it shouldn't be the same because same wasn't working for us. Right. So if it's not working for everybody, it ain't working for nobody, as far as I'm concerned. Right. Um, there was a question that came in. It says, is there anything you wish your educators would have done for you when you were a student to make your educational experience better? Mm, that's a really great question. Um, of, I mean, I definitely experienced a lot of like um, uh, some, some racial tensions um, as a kid from teachers, um, you know, because I was very unapologetic as, as for who I was as a kid. Um, and especially in high school, I am the exact same person um, and, you know, grew up in like um, very conservative area. Um, and so 
I obviously experienced race racism. Um, but what I take the most from my experience was one, the need for more black teachers. Um, mm. I had one black teacher um, in biology, Ms. Speed, she's my first and only black teacher that I had growing up. Um, and uh, she allowed me to realize that I was good at science. Um, and that's essential. Um, so seeing, seeing myself represented in teachers is key, 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 key. Um, but like you said in one episode, not all skin folk is kin folk. Okay. So that is important. That is important. Because <laughs> you know I was about to go there. <laughs> that is important, right? Um, absolutely. But seeing an unapologetic Black woman teach me biology and mm. vibe with me, okay? Um, that was key to me. Key, key, key. Um, and um, because not not everyone would resonate with me, right? I and as a as a I go to conferences now, and I dress in streetwear. I don't dress in a you know a, a business casual whatever. Like, dude, conferences. I gotta be on my feet. Lots of you know lots of hours. I don't like to wear heels. Like that's just not who I am. And teachers will literally walk in, see me in streetwear, and walk out and be like, mm, "You missed your blessing." Okay, um, so. Uh, that's just, and if they, if I look like that and they do that to me, imagine what they're doing to y'all, right? As yeah, kids. facts, 100%. Facts. Okay, 100%. <laughs> so hiring unapologetic black teachers, I can't really remember the question. Oh, teachers, what I wish teachers had done for me. I, um, I will say in my experience, I had a lot of what I would call white co-conspirators or white teachers that advocated for me being unapologetic and I'm still connected to them to this day. Um, so what that taught me is how to, um, that it gave me hope mm. that, um, some white people will get you. Um, um, so that is, um, that is what I learned the most from my experience. Um, from, so what would have made your educational experience better? I think is the last part I, of that question. I don't know. Um, I, that's that's a hard question. I don't really live in regret. Um, and so I truly believe that my educational experience was designed to be what it was, what it was for me to mm -hmm. create, create my school. So I guess, I guess, you know, I, I grew up pretty privileged um, also. Mm -hmm. um, and so I take it from a lens of me going to other schools that were not as privileged and just like visiting. Um, and so mm -hmm. I wish as far as like what would make my educational experience better was that it would be more equitable for everyone. Mm. So that okay. everyone had a chance to do what I did. Right. Um, because even though I, I did grow up as privileged, my mom lost everything in the two, 2008 recession. Um, mm. and so that gave me a different lens as far as our society. Cause I couldn't, I couldn't afford to do, you know, the things that I, I did, um, as far yeah. as like dance and afford to pay the uniforms and stuff like that. So I got into politics as a kid, um, because that was free. <laughs> um, so <laughs> politics was free. <laughs> right. Right. I had to pay for no uniforms. Okay. <laughs> uh, um, uh, but I also saw kids that were in the same predicament as I was, but I just had the status prior to, cause I, I had, I had privilege prior to, and I saw that yeah. they couldn't do the things, but they could never do the things. 
And so I wish there was more equity within the school system. Uh, so you you want them to spend money with those who need it most first right. and then let it trickle down instead right. of what they do now, giving to the people who already have and then leaving the crumbs for everybody else. Right. Okay. Right. That's what I thought I heard. That's what I thought yep, I heard. Yep, yep, you are right. Didi? Um, I also had a question. I know we're coming up on time here, but like one of my questions was like, I'm really interested in education too. And like, I always, I often struggle with kind of like, you know, like abolition or reformism is like, what is the best roadmap, you know, like, and what is most, I guess, like sustain, kind of sustainable, but also like, what can we do right now? Um, mm-hmm. So like part of creating your school, kind of like a move towards abolition, like these schools aren't working for black students. So I'm going to create my own school for black students. And then, you know, kind of follow up, like, what do you think about like, how how we reform schools and can schools be reformed to you know help black students yeah um so i we are definitely in a new education movement um whether we realize it or not um it's happened um school choice is going to be uh a huge thing school choice is going to happen public school funding if you look at the trends now it's drastically declining homeschooling is um, drastically rising, especially within Black families because of racialized violence within schools, right? So Mm -hmm. we're in a really new, exciting new time that's also hella scary. Um, So um, we, our schools are going, our our society is moving actually back to, um, and it's uh, that your title, um, pre-Brown v. Board education, where teachers taught in the home. And Mm -hmm. Um, uh, black teachers were highly valued and sought after, but after Brown v. Board education, black teachers lost a lot of funding. They lost a lot of income, right? And, and their and- children were bused to other schools that did not have them in it. Let's be real. Right. right. <laughs> so we're moving back to what we prior we were prior to. And I think that's also a calling from our ancestors wanting reparations. That's what I truly believe. So if you're interested in education, Um, look at black thought leaders because what they've been saying for forever, people are finally starting to tap into and it's, um, and, uh, look at homeschooling or private schooling as other avenues of getting out of public schooling. We're going to see almost dismantling of public schooling. Um, and that is scary for especially our lower income families. Um, But lower income families, homeschool, black homes, lower income families, homeschool at higher rates than you would think. Um, And so that is where our, our, our system is going to is a dismantle of public schooling of black, um, black students, especially, we're not going to stay there. and so and I think um, that's a fantastic thing. That is amazing. Yes. I wish that our parents would pull more of our kids out of these environments because they are not built for them. Right. Yes. And we yes. have to have that conversation. Um, and, you know, we are coming up on time and I did not mean to cut you off, but I have to ask you if people want to learn more about you and your school, how would they get in contact with you or where could they go to find you? Yes, it's. Um, uh, so we're changing all our social media handles to be, um, at black apple school. So those three common words at black apple school, 
Um, you can find us at blackapple.school um, if you type it into your web address. Um, uh, you can also email me at andreabaysmore at theblackapple.org. Yes, thanks. Um, uh, and uh, last thing that I will say is we're also seeing a movement of um, kids going to HBCUs. Um, and I believe that we're we're going to have a new movement of HBCUs. We're going to have like the 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 sixties, you know, liberate um, not sixties, but the liberatory HBCUs, the historical HBCUs, and then we're going to actually probably be forming new colleges for Black kids. Um, there's going to be a whole mm -hmm. new movement of college and universities, and so people are always worried about that. But th everything's changed. Now, everything that you knew prior to education, it's it's going to change. Okay. And so we'll make sure to get those other, because I was trying to type as you was talking and I got distracted. So I didn't put them all in the chat. No um, so we'll try to, <laughs> we'll try to get all of those together um, so that we can share it with the folks who happen to tap in today or who may watch the rebroadcast or may hear it on um, Apple uh, Podcasts or Spotify. But we want to thank you so much for spending some time with us today, allowing uh, the young ladies to get their questions in and, and to really learn more about you and what you're doing. We applaud that. I applaud anybody who's trying to do something different because normal wasn't working. Um, so thank you again for coming. Uh, with that, um, we have a couple of announcements. Uh, we will be back next Monday at 4 p.m. Uh, PST. So make sure you tap in for that. Also, um, you can visit our store. Everything, our link tree has been updated and put on our social sites. So make sure you go and you browse that. And uh, at the way bottom, it's our student store. Take advantage of the things that we have put on there for you. They're modeling their shirts right now um, get at that um, additionally we have um, our new theme song is called where we in here that is by m16 and the full moon wolves he gave us permission to use the song so we want to send a shout out to him and we will have him probably in the in the coming episodes one of them at least so that he could come through and tell you about that uh, 10k check that he uh, had delivered to byLP so we're excited about that if you would like us to have a conversation with anybody or you think anybody out in the atmosphere uh, could come on and talk to us about what they have going on, please let us know. You can email us at podcast at BYLP.org or you can hit us on any of our social media at BYLP or um, at BVBOE6 uh, on Instagram and we will absolutely um, take it into consideration. I think we need to get the lady who's running for DA, Alana Matthews, on here to talk to us about how she's going to stop this school-to-prison pipeline, or at least attempt to. Um, there's some other folks. Maybe I could get Wes Bellamy on here to talk about what they're doing with uh, whatever they got going on recently. I know he was in LA. So we have a, a list of folks that we're going to start to tap into um, because we need to have some conversations, and we can't do that in a vacuum. So again, thank you for tuning in with us uh, once again. Ladies, do you have anything you want to add? Trinity said vote for her. Vote for <laughs> you September 3rd. And then thank you, Ms. Baysmore, for coming through. And Didi, you have anything you want to add? Yeah, thank you for sharing your knowledge with us. Um, if you go to Intercom, um, vote Adio Bolu um, for junior class rep. Voting starts tomorrow and it's on Friday. Oh, snap. Tomorrow to Friday. Okay, Endercom, you know what to do. Head on out and vote for Miss Adia Abolu. That's what you said?
Okay, I said it right. Okay, cool. Um, so with that, as always, thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, and we're gonna hit you with that wave, and we'll see you next week. Uh, 4:30. I'm sorry, four o'clock. Look at I'm about to give it a whole new time. Four o'clock right here <laughs> on Facebook and Instagram. <laughs>